episode of our podcast. We have some wonderful guests. We have Selena Warren and Marissa Reed. They are the creators, the writers, producers, showrunners of YouTube Red's longest running original TV show, For Some. They also have a new TV series coming for Nickelodeon. So we're just going to talk about their journey, how they got where they did, and what's coming next. So I'm Lauren Elise Buckley. Sean Sharma. And I'm Selena. And I'm Marissa. And you won't be able to tell the difference between the two of us. Try <laughs> listen. <laughs> Your voices sound We're a lot like, like the exact yeah. And we say things at the same time constantly. <laughs> I love it. It'll just be an echo. <laughs> well, what I appreciate about this is that I am meeting you guys for the first time tonight. And so this is Lauren's uh, invitation that you guys are here, which is so yes. exciting. We've been kind of combining our networks to make these things happen and meeting and featuring really awesome people. Yes. And anytime I get to see them, I like I just had them come as guest speakers for this cool like women's uh, in entertainment summit. And I'm just like, they are the two most inspiring humans that I know. So anytime I get wow. to be like, Selena and Marissa, will you come talk? That is so it's nice. It's such really a treat. Nice. We find each other kind of depressing <laughs> and like very ho-hum about the whole industry. So it's nice when people are like, you made us feel great. We're like, really? We feel terrible. <laughs> we feel like we overwhelm people normally. Oh to them they're like you just said so many things were you so have, many magical things though mentors and our the kids that we mentor are like terrified by the time they leave meetings with us yeah they're like i need a full week to process oh everything you just said well let's dive in so like i would love to because lauren knows your story but i would love to hear more about like because you guys went to amda is where mm -hmm. you guys met and American got started Musical dramatic academy here in los angeles california it's a terrible <laughs> school nobody go <laughs> some proud alumni i love it <laughs> they're trash <laughs> yeah they don't really involve their alumni at all so mm -hmm. specifically us we don't know about other people but mm -hmm. they we've reached out to you know get involved mentor we're, we're mentors at usc ucla we've spoken at northridge and our own alma mater just yeah. like does not care we're not that's good enough so wild well i absolutely love that you said that they're trash and i want to know all about it because <laughs> you know for me when i I'm from Minneapolis originally, and in Minneapolis, there are all these modeling and acting scam schools like John Casablanca's, John Robert Powers, Barbizon, blah, blah, blah. There's one called Karen International in Minnesota, but it's all about like trying to get people when they're at the mall with their kids and like play on their dreams like, oh, we can make your kid a, a star. Just give us $5,000. Just give us blah, blah, blah. And so we've kind of had a, um, a running like you know, joke, sad joke that like the more official something sounds in LA, probably the worst education you're going to get there. You know, so, if you're into musical theater, if, yeah. if what you really want to do is musicals and Broadway, it's not a bad school, especially if you're not, you know, smart enough to get into the school that'll really help you network. Like mm -hmm. USC, part of the jam is the networking it sets up for you. Same with Northwestern and Tisch. Mm -hmm. Like it'll set you up. You can get meetings forever with, within the network because they really help each other. Mm -hmm. AMDA doesn't have the network, but mm -hmm. if you don't have the grades... Yeah, they'll pretty much school. let anyone in. They'll let anybody in, and they have more people on Broadway mm -hmm. than any other school. At least that was, like, what, seven years ago I read that in an article. Wow. And the education for musical theater, I would say, is good. Mm -hmm. It's a little dated. A little dated. Yeah. They made us wear, like, a full face of makeup and a leotard to class every day. But, but it instills the right values in you. I would just say, like, for strictly acting on camera and for comedy and, and they really should start involving writing and doing your own stuff. Mm. Um, they're not at all a school that we would yeah. recommend. We would recommend just coming out here and not going to school mm -hmm. and taking the classes at different studios that you've making Amen. kind of your own college. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But anyway, that's where we met. Yeah, Good. Selena. And you would, but so you wouldn't put it in the scam category. Just you have no. to know what you're getting into if you're going to go there. It's yeah. expensive for what it is, and I really don't like schools that don't let you audition. It's like mm-hmm. the whole point of moving out here oh, yeah. mm-hmm. when you're 18 years old is to like hit the ground running. You mm-hmm. learn by doing, and I they don't let you audition. I mean, mm-hmm. now knowing what we know, we would have done things differently. Yeah, but it's like their rule that you mm-hmm. can't audition while you're still in school. Which yeah, I think that is just a huge seems mistake. like a con- contrived thing to keep people in their pl- paying their tuition and yeah you know i guess you could make the case well until you've graduated from our program you're not qualified to go out and do that but <laughs> that's such a arbitrary thing because people learn at different rates so i'm sure people come in and they're ready to work and not to mention you yeah. learn yeah. by doing you're yeah. not going to know what it feels like until you go try and bomb and you know what i mean and yeah you might burn a bridge or you might you know embarrass yourself but that's part of you do that no matter what even after you graduate yeah that's mm-hmm. like the growing process yeah yeah, yeah. Man. But so you said you do mentor for USC, UCLA. What's that like? What's the mentorship program like and what have you been able to do with it? So at um, USC, we have a group of five, four, four, mm-hmm. four. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like five. right, right, right. <laughs> four mentees. And this is our first year doing the official program. We have another mentee that Bennett, who was a director on foursome, it was he did this program. It's called the Marshall School of Business. Business, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Which is just so funny because, like, there's no way I would have ever gotten into this program (laughs) in And I'm like, here's what you should learn. Yeah, we went to this event that was, like, the Towns and Gowns event or something, and you were supposed to wear, like, business casual, and I literally showed up in a skirt and a crop top, and every all the students were in, like, full business suits. I was like... How how am I here? Like, oh my god, I love that. <laughs> you just meet with them, you set goals, you talk. You know, they're also like getting an education, so it's mm-hmm. kind of overwhelming when we're like, have you realized it and you know do all these things mm-hmm. that you do once you get out of school? But we're like, you'll be way ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's that's kind of how we met. We became friends. I was Marissa's RA, and then I got we both got in trouble at the same party for drinking. It was a very dry campus. Selena was obviously supposed to be breaking up the party, and living classic. And then we moved in together, and basically right after school, acting was the number one focus. I went heavy onto the Groundlings route marissa went heavy into the independent film route and then both of us were like we're not auditioning for anything that's exciting and you know we have to start making and also the waiting the interim of just waiting for auditions Mm -hmm. felt insane like you can't do that for your whole life it's just like sit wait Mm -hmm. totally and the character descriptions for the parts we were auditioning for were brutal like I went out for a role that's the description was Cameron Diaz plus 200 pounds. Jesus. And it was like, that's what it takes to write a character. Like we can do that. Mm. I went out for mall cop Two, horse lady. <laughs> oh my God. And it was me and Melanie Hutzel in the waiting room who did Delta Delta Delta. Can I help you help you help you mm. or Kappa, whatever it was. And I just like, we were looking at each other and both of us were so sad. And I was like, you were on Saturday night live. What are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And then we, started writing and then sold for some relatively quickly mm-hmm. when we started writing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had met with awesomeness TV just as a general. And at the time they were doing really young content, kind of like for preteens and a lot of 
branded like sketches. And so we didn't really have anything for them at the time. Everything we write is pretty R rated and very raunchy. And they called us back in two months later because Brian Robbins, who is the president of the company, was trying to kind of grow his audience and he wanted to do a high school version of Sex in the City. So he, or Shauna, his um, exec, interviewed us amongst like 12 other writers and ultimately they took foursome as the take that they went with. How long after graduation was this? Uh, maybe two years. Two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you'd gone about just focusing on audition for auditions for I two years. I think for a year or so we were just acting. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were taking so many classes and like kind of building a network. And then when we, then the next year was like writing and kind of branching out into that world. I had sent out, Marissa was still in school and I had sent out a ton of, and this was back in the days of mailings, like manila envelope headshots. <laughs> and, um, I just realized that people have put their email addresses on IMDb pro. So I reached out via IMDb pro to somebody who turned out to be a literary manager. And I didn't know what that meant. He said, oh, what have you written? And in the meeting, I realized that he was a writing manager. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I have this great movie. And then I like went away, wrote a movie very fast. It was garbage, but good enough to have him sign me. Marissa read for one of the roles in the movie opposite me as my best friend. And he was like, you two together is an easier sell. Like you've got fun energy. Yeah. You're we both... like went out for a drink afterward. And he was like, you guys are the way that you speak to each other is really weird. You guys should write together and put in it as your dialogue. Um, so that's really the reason we started writing together. So that was about like a year and a half in. We wrote like, he said, you know, we wrote a show called Breast Friends about mm -hmm. us maybe being like in love with each other. But then that MTV show came out. It was funny because our manager was like, this will never sell. And then what was called Faking It came out, which is the exact premise. Oh, my God. Um, and then we wrote something called RAs about our time being RAs that went with Andy Fickman. Um, and then another show came out, Resident Assistant mm -hmm. on Hulu. That was the exact same thing. And we were just like, sheesh, we got to write faster. And then Foursome happened. So that was kind of the journey of getting involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Foursome, Awesomeness TV produced the entire first season. Selena and I wrote the whole thing, no writing room or anything. And then it got distributed to um, YouTube Red at the time. It's now YouTube Premium. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it went on for four seasons. So took up the majority of our 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then for writing it, you had 12 episodes that you had to write for the first season. And six, you six, six yeah. episodes. Mm -hmm. And then they cut those up into mini ones, so right? It, no, it was six 30-minute episodes mm -hmm. or 22-minute episodes. But they didn't know if it was going to be like what platform it was going to be on. So we had to write it so that it could be split into two 11-minute episodes. So it was, yeah, it was really hard because it had to be two standalone episodes but also work as one. So I had to share like a theme. What was the reason for that? Just because they didn't know where it was going. Yeah. So worst case scenario, I think they were going to put it on their own YouTube channel and it could only be 11 minutes instead of yeah. 22. Mm -hmm. It was uh, bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> and when second season came around and we knew it was going to YouTube original, we were we could just do a normal three-act series. And our 
producer was like, wow, you guys have gotten so much better at writing. The structure is so much better. And we're better. like, no, we didn't get better. We're just not trying to write this insane 11-11 sandwich method. It's so crazy. But it really, I think that's one of the most impressive things is that you just taught yourselves how to become screenwriters um and you were telling me about like the how you would go and you would study scripts and you taught yourself kind of the format and just how quickly you were like okay these are the new rules okay we'll adapt to that um can you tell us a little about how you would go about like learning the structure and like just kind of teaching yourselves how tv was written before we started writing together we would go to (laughs) hold for technical we constructed this right before you guys came (laughs) Uh, you really need Velcro? Yeah. We're yeah. like, oh, we didn't get Velcro. Tape will do for today. <laughs> um, before we started writing, we, I submitted to a couple of like the Warner Brothers initiatives, which is like for diversity. So being a female writer is diverse. And they're, basi- they're like writing fellowship programs. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, this is before we even had the read through where we were paired up together. Before mm-hmm. you do that, you have to write a spec. So you have to write an ex an episode of a television show that already exists. So I chose like fairly odd parents for, I don't know what reason. <laughs> and it's a classic. I guess I don't like, well, I don't know why I didn't pick something like, I think I also at one point at the same time I did, um, Oh, <laughs> sorry. Right. Uh, at the same time I did, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, so basically I went to the WGA and I checked out an episode of it's always sunny. And then I did it like a math problem. How many jokes per page, how many scenes per act. And I wrote it all down. This is how many, you know, this is where it's indented. This is how they use their slug lines. And I just copied it exactly. And then submitted it. And once it was time to write our own stuff, we, we, asked ourselves what do we want the show to emulate if it's like girls we then did the same thing with a girl script and then just kind of plugged in our own version of it that's amazing uh, yeah, yeah it was like a template basically the wga mm-hmm. library is open to everybody including non-wga members it's amazing that's where we host our table reads at least once a month wow, oh that's, that's so great. smart mm-hmm. yeah we've been doing table reads for over two years now just just over two years. And there's an internal uh, submission process through the diversity committee of the WGA where people can submit the first 10 pages of their script blind so they can't put their names on it. That way people can't play favorites with who they select. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a little panel within the Writers Guild that does all that stuff. All right. <laughs> I say just leave let it. That go. Um, so, uh, so anyway, but the Writers Guild Foundation Library has been kind enough to just donate the space once a month for us to bring in a WGA writer and then SAG-AFTRA and CSA casting directors, we cast actors for it. And then our team goes to work and they bring it to life with like music and decor and custom art. And like it's, and we go to the hand prop room and get all these like set decorations and and food that's like inspired by the world and it's just an amazing that's it's so like throwing amazing. yeah it's we're... like throwing a birthday party for a, a surprise birthday party for a writer because they come and they have no idea we're going to do all this and then like who are you people i'm a stranger why would you do this for me <laughs> that's really amazing and that takes place in the library or upstairs well we do them um, yeah it takes place in the library we do that like the second monday night of every month and then we also do reads at uh, SAG After Headquarters, at the American Film Institute, and at Culver City Casting Studios in Culver City. And then we're actually working with, you know, I have students that are trying to get us uh, in on the campuses of colleges so we can do them actually on college campuses. And it can be a great learning experience for the students to come and yeah, meet sure. working, performing actors, as well as great CSA casting directors and writers uh, from the Writers Guild. Uh, and then we're also actually talking to Soho House, and they were thinking about maybe doing it at their West Hollywood and Malibu location. Our favorite. 
<laughs> but that would be actually a cool thing to do there because their spaces are gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. they are very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the people that are members of the Soho House are people you would want to kind of get involved or like pay attention or see what you're up to. Yes, they yeah. are. Because yeah, they're established professionals. We were just talking earlier about the fact that we hate the Soho House <laughs> because we are Valley Girls and we don't feel comfortable anywhere outside of CVS. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I ever see you at the Soho House, then you will at least have one person you can feel Thank comfortable you. with. You we yes, ran into there. somebody today that we had zero idea yeah. who he was or how we knew him. We just knew we knew him. Yeah, I made eye contact with him and then I knew immediately like... We, he recognized me and I recognized him, but no idea. And thank God he was on the phone. So he was like, oh, I can't talk, but like hugged us and we can't figure out who the he elevator doors closed. And we were like, who is that? At like the exact same time. And then neither of us knew. But you both knew that you recognized him yeah, from something. Yeah. I think we know him well. <laughs> I think we worked on something. Yeah, that is truly. If you're listening on one there. of <laughs> <laughs> Tell us who you are. Misconnection. you are. I think that's one of the most the things that gives me the most anxiety in LA is you see and meet so many people constantly, which is wonderful. It makes such a big city feel like so nice and warm when you're like, Oh, friendly face. But it's so hard to keep track at a certain point that you're just like, I recognize you and I don't remember your name and I don't know what I know you from. I yeah. think that like my goal is to just be honest in those situations and be like, remind me how we know each oh, other. hundred percent. And oh. if they get offended, I'll be like, look, I smoke a lot of weed and <laughs> It's rude. Or just my say brain. that your hard drive is full. You can only have so many contacts in your head at one time. And if you learn a new name, one's got to go. But that might make them feel like they're not important enough to be loaded in the hard drive. That's if my it's weed, fear. It's Who is me. important enough for everyone <laughs> You to know what I mean? I, yeah. I feel like Selena and I balance each other out in a lot of aspects, but we're both just terrible at remembering like people's names, how we know people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's rough. Man. That's good, though. Honesty is a good policy. I just go with the, like, oh, my gosh, yes, it's so good to see you and hope that it comes up. And if not, I'm like, that's now I'm even more uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So but that's like good. At the time, they also don't know how they know you. So they were probably relieved to mm. have you be like, how do that's we know fair. each other? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so I'm going to rewind a little bit simply <laughs> okay. because, uh, you know, my time to do research on you guys was, you know, between like six and seven o'clock. Sure, and so sure. for me, I'm coming into this a little bit blind but maybe that's a good thing in a way because i i'm not i don't know enough to be so impressed by everything you guys have been doing yet so i want to be i want to hear everything i want to hear like where are you where are you born and raised and how did you like why are you a storyteller can you both kind of share that yeah i'm from bellingham washington cool. which is north of seattle mm -hmm. um and i I mean, I moved out here the day after my 18th birthday to go to AMDA. Mm -hmm. I always was super into like school plays and I sang competitively opera. Really? I was, yeah, I was. I on didn't the know that. Squad. Yeah. She's so, also a Muay Thai champion. Oh yeah, my I God. Was. I quit Palms to do Muay Thai. That is so impressive. Yeah, um, I, I think so I just want want, was sing. desperately wanted attention is where it, all of it came from. Well, opera's intense, though. That's like some serious commitment. Yeah, I was in like private voice lessons from mm -hmm. the time I was seven. Because I, I was like, I moved out here, stuff. I think, because I wanted to be a singer. Hmm. But it, then I realized I actually wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> but back in Washington, the standard was different than she LA. Was the that's best fair. Girl in Bellingham, Washington. <laughs> I don't even think that's true. I think just, how I did you know. even hear of AMDA? Like, how did you know you wanted to come to Los Angeles when you were so young? Because I didn't even know I wanted to move to LA until I was 26. And I was like, you know, I've kind of accomplished what I can accomplish in Minneapolis. And if I really want to jump into acting and film and television at the highest levels, I've got to be in Los Angeles. But that wasn't even on my radar coming from a small town in Minnesota where I was just trying to grapple with 
being relevant in Minneapolis and building yeah. a life there. And music was my main way of expressing myself during that period. I was I was a, a singer songwriter, had a music booking company. We played you know shows all over the place. So that's really where my focus was. You couldn't really do film and television in in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. You know there was like one union commercial a year that would come through town or something. You were lucky to get in on it or something. So it wasn't really. Not a lot of people were making a living as on-camera performers in Minnesota. Yeah, I think, well, at least for AMDA, it was like I had taken the SATs or like the pre-SATs or something like that. And in the interest section, I marked all like musical theater, dancing, singing, acting. And so then I just started getting all of these like postcards in the mail. Oh. And that's kind of when it dawned on me like, oh, I could do well, this. They reach out school. to you with that stuff. Yeah. So you're what your SAT scores they like share with other <laughs> companies? It or wasn't. Something? It was like a separate set. It, I don't think it was the SATs. It was okay. like a junior they do year like career type of like, it was like what, what are your interests mm-hmm. and then i think they send that to all the schools yeah. and they like target you that feels that's a actually, fucked up i feel like that's so helpful <laughs> wow. helpful yeah. did you know they were going to be selling it to other schools no yeah, <laughs> no idea <laughs> i think i'm i've just given up on the fact that like anything you fill out you have no privacy totally. so i'm like at least it worked in your benefit it yeah. wasn't like telemarketers it was yeah. like yeah hey, no, it had a, a net class. positive effect let's yeah. just be glad it was sent there not other places it was probably sent other places too <laughs> <laughs> I am from Chicago. I'm really from Deerfield. Deerfield, DHS. And there's so many people from Lauren and I went to high school, not together because I'm older than her, but the same high school. The same high school. There's there's so many people in the industry. I also got a pamphlet and I knew I wasn't going to college. I was, I had, when did you know that? Cause I knew in eighth grade, I wasn't going to go to college. I knew. And since I was in kindergarten, you really, were. I had a goal of being famous and not just famous for the sake of being famous. I, I loved performing so much. I went to um, summer camp every summer in um, Sarasota, Florida. It's called the players. It's like a big kid it's like kind of like stage door, but it's mm-hmm. the Southern Florida version of it. <laughs> yes. Actually, I don't even know if it's Southern. I'm so sorry, America. Uh, <laughs> the Florida version. The Florida version. So I went there and I did that every single summer until I was 12. And I was very, always in, I was always in the school musicals, always the lead. So yeah, I was always you like, were. I, which I was musicals always, did you do? I did Into the Woods. Okay. I was the Little Red, mm-hmm. which I guess that's an ensemble, not a lead, mm-hmm. but it's a good part. Yep. And then my senior year, I did um, the Pajama Game, and I was Babe, which was severely miscast. I am not an ingenue, <laughs> and I can't walk in high heels. What is an ingenue? It's like a, you know, it's like a leading lady. It's like yeah, Nicole Kidman. The love interest of a musical. I've been hearing like. the word ingenue for so long and I have no idea what it means. I just think it means like a, or what it meant. It's obviously changing, thank God. But it meant not a character, like a typical, beautiful, straight part, love interest, you know, carrying the story. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Usually like somewhat damsel in distress Someone type character. Distress. Yeah, it was like the classic. And I was always the woman with the bread that's like, Anyone want bread? And then I would leave. <laughs> so what's the equivalent on the male side? Then on like here. the Prince Charming type? Like yeah. the guy that right, swoops in and is always hero? like... The hero? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I found about, out about AMDA and I didn't want to go to school and my I wanted to move to Los Angeles and I wanted my parents to pay for it. And my dad was like, I'm not just going to let you go to LA without a plan. And then I was like, this school's a year and a half. How about this? And he's like, great. 
So that was our compromise. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So you had the support of your family. Oh, yeah. That's so I would not have been able to figure this out. It would have taken me triple the time. I don't even know if I ever would have if they didn't pay for my existence for five years. God bless. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes a special kind of person to figure out how to move somewhere without any financial support, without saving up money. I'd never worked a day in my life except for like at a tanning booth for five seconds. <laughs> like I'm from a very affluent area. What was area. the name of the tanning California booth? California Tan. <laughs> oh my God. In Deerfield, <laughs> Illinois. Prussian. My sister used to go there yeah, until we were like, went... Brittany, that's really bad for you. So, Stop. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I looked insane in high school. I'll show you a picture later. I looked like. <laughs> I won't believe it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's what's really exciting about hearing your guy's story, and I want to learn more about what you went through, you know, with the process of um, developing and selling and running and doing all this this stuff with your show, is that you know, from from my involvement, I'm very heavily involved in our union SAG-AFTRA, um, and and there's the way that I have been talking about it in like my education because I'm also the co-chair of the Los Angeles Conservatory, which is servicing our you know our 80,000 members in LA, and I'm on the board and all that, so I get to see kind of like the overview of how the entire industry is doing because we have so many staff reports on like what's the state of the industry and how are the earnings of our different categories and you know being involved in the discussions about what we're going to negotiate in our contracts and all, all that stuff. It's incredibly overwhelming. But we know that we have a lot of issues right now, especially with regards to the middle class of our membership being able to make a living. Because you essentially have like names and stars who don't work for scale. And then you have like the 95% that are trying to get the recurring guests and things like that and eke out a living and whatever. And at this point, uh, it's it's we've kind of seen an eradication of like the top of show guest, for example. And all these now shows are essentially going to streaming platforms and the contracts for streaming are not like network TV. Right. So, for example, I'm uh, a series regular on a series right now called The Chosen, and it's under one of the like streaming uh, contracts where it, it was they were able to pay me twenty five hundred dollars a week in cross board episodes, and so for the entire season one as a as a series lead, I made less than what would qualify me for health insurance through our union, which is seventeen thousand dollars is the threshold, mm -hmm. um, and so. If it had been like a CBS or an ABC or like a premium you know, network, the minimum uh, is like $35,000 an episode. That's a huge disparity for everything that's essentially going to end up on a streaming platform one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and I'm sure the contracts that you guys had to work under were similar where it's like, you know, it's kind of it was it like freely negotiated or like what can you describe kind of like the, the challenges? Because I'm sure that even like with regards to how you guys were able to monetize your own show, I'm sure it was like a completely different economic reality than if it had been like a CBS show or a Fox oh, show yeah. or something like <laughs> that. Oh yeah, this is an understatement. So I said a bunch of shit, but can you like kind of comment on some of that? Yeah, I mean... The first season of Foursome is what qualified us for the WGA, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, if a show is new media at the WGA, the pay minimum is anything over zero dollars. Mm -hmm. So they could basically pay us whatever they wanted, and I think... And our salary was just a little bit over zero. <laughs> to be a exactly. first season, which, you know, we wrote the entire season by ourselves, mm -hmm. and... EP'd. Not just wrote and EP'd and was on set every single day, first first there, last to leave. Mm -hmm. But we also did, because we did not know that there are minimums on how many drafts you get to rewrite. You know, you have a contract that says how many rewrites they get before mm -hmm. they have to pay you. Mm -hmm. We did 91 rewrites. Oh, my God. Of six episodes. How long did that take to do those rewrites? Like, six how many? Months. Yeah, it was God. six months. 
And I think we total each ended up making like $8,000. $6,000. For but the full, whole first season? That's, I'm sorry, yeah. 6000 after taxes, after commissions. For the whole first season. For the whole yeah. first season. As the Welcome writers, streaming, creators, right? yeah, executive the writers, producers, showrunners. Show I, mean, I was fully waiting tables on the weekends or after set if I could make it to a shift. And I was making more money waiting tables than right. I was. And the impression the that people have, because they don't know how these contracts work and how you know much they are behind what you would make on a, a series or something, is that, well, you guys must be like raking it in. You're working with these, you know what I mean? Like, did you but have... The opposite end of that, yeah. our lawyer, and we have an amazing lawyer who gets us a lot more money mm -hmm. than we should be making, maybe not should be, but that people would want to be paying us. Mm -hmm. You know, he had really good advice. He's like, it's a brave new world, and, mm -hmm. and you guys are given the opportunity to show run with zero writing room experience, mm -hmm. which is very rare. Um, when we talk to most people in the WGA, we're we're amongst very few women and the youngest showrunners mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. union. Mm -hmm. So we've been kind of like shot forward on this path that we've directed three episodes with no directing experience, mm -hmm. except for a pilot presentation. We have showrun writing rooms of seven and more people. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really skipped, you know, you start as a writing assistant, you get bumped up to staff writer, um, yeah. story editor, all those things. We skipped that entire. Mm -hmm. The first writing room I had ever stepped foot in was the writing room that we were show running. Mm -hmm. So Incredible. it's like very so while the rare. money wasn't there, it all it did give us something that a CBS show never in a million years would have given us. Well and that's what why I mean that that's so exciting because it's kind of the reality now that while things are more difficult for the people that used to be able to sustain themselves with, for example, commercial work or with, you know, half a dozen guest stars on network TV or something like that during the year or whatever, um, is now the value of creating content, this absolute mad rush for you know, buying content, buying ideas, getting things into production. Mm -hmm. And it feels like somebody said something at a meeting earlier today at the union about needing to be artistic entrepreneurs, not just actors who are going out in auditions. And everybody talks about doing the kinds of things that it's clear you guys have been up to and doing. So you're part of the vanguard. And I think you were kind of doing it earlier, I think, than a lot of people. Because now it feels like people are having this mad rush to try to develop content and do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But you guys were up at this, what, five years ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have no concept of time in Los Angeles. <laughs> Never land out here. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, I'm 22. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would say, though, like, because, you know, we sold the show, it was immediately picked up for series. It was greenlit right away mm -hmm. and then immediately got picked up for a second season. Like, it set really unrealistic expectations mm -hmm. for working anywhere else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just sold, so basically, skipping through foursome a little bit, even though there was like a lot to, that we could talk about about just that experience. Mm -hmm. We, we sold our, another show. So basically Brian Robbins, who was the president of awesomeness TV, um, who's a huge champion of us and like someone we care about very much as a mentor and our first boss moved over to Nickelodeon and took another huge person in our life. That's this female executive that's always championed us, Shauna Fallon over with him at Nickelodeon. And the two of them gave us a blind deal. And we were really struggling because we don't do kids TV. Our brand is already comedy nostalgia. Mm. Um, but because of nostalgia, we wanted to do a reboot. So I don't know if we're allowed to say what, the what it is. So don't. Yeah. <laughs> like we always are like, I don't know, but here's what it is. And then we always get in trouble. <laughs> so we're doing a reboot with Nickelodeon of a beloved 90s um, kids, kids show. show. But 
we when we sold it, so basically working with Ace Entertainment, who just did um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And they're rebooting the show with us as our producers. And we went in, we sold the show in the room, which is very unusual, sold the pilot in the room. And we left being very depressed because we were like, they only bought one episode yeah. <laughs> and they were even like oh you know once you turn in the pilot we'll decide if we'll pick up the series or not which normally they shoot the pilot and test it mm-hmm. so like the production company was really thrilled with that that we were skipping a step but we left like really upset and bummed out because we were like what all we all we get is the pilot where's our automatic Pick and up then, to series in a green light. Like, shouldn't we be filming in the two months from now? Our producer called us and was like, you guys are being brats. <laughs> like, he like, us mad at us. And we were like, I'm sorry. We don't know. <laughs> like, this is normal. Like, no one, just, no one just says, here's, you know, however many millions of dollars when we don't know what you're going to, the story is going to be. Well, this is actually really a good point because you don't know what the rules are so you can break them and people understand, you know. So can you share an example of how you not knowing what the, you know, the well-trodden path was, was actually an advantage in you guys executing your vision? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can give an example in a negative way. Okay. We, we were more concerned when we sold the show. We were young. We were 24 when we sold the first show for some, and we were more concerned with being friends with all the actors because it felt like, you know, all the shows we had grown up watching, we felt like we were like a part of this high school magic Mm -hmm. and we just wanted to be like a part of it. And we also had written two of the lead characters for ourselves. So we already were like kind of bummed that we weren't a part of, you know, the main cast. And so in between takes, during lunch, whenever it was, we cared so much about being in with them and becoming their friends and being yeah. close with them. And you want to set the kind of tone for the set that you... We really that, messed up. Yeah, it was <laughs> like major backtracking in the seasons to come. Mm-hmm. And then so second, you know, we were so unprofessional. We were like partying with them, you know, just like acting like old people hanging out with kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though, I mean, they were 20 and we were 24, mm-hmm. but it felt like a huge we've, difference. Yeah, we've never felt so old. Mm-hmm. And it helped that they reminded us how old we were every five seconds. And we're like, <laughs> Ew, you don't know about this? You're like 40. <laughs> you're like That's 40. Like always you're 40. Oh my God. Um, so then second season when we came back, we were like, yeah, we, if we really want to be taken seriously, if we really want things to change, if we want to direct, we have to like do our jobs Mm -hmm. and not hide in the closet during production meetings because we don't want to go. So we like (laughs) stepped it up and the kids were like, oh, mom and dad are mad at us. They call us mother and papa. Mm -hmm. She's mother and papa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we really had to switch the dynamic and also the the dynamic in the eyes of awesomeness TV because they thought we were doofuses because we were acting like it. Mm -hmm. So our advice to somebody who gets this opportunity is to really fake it till you make it. Don't act like you don't know what you're doing. Just be as professional as you can. You can have fun and be, you know, we're still us. We're not wearing ties. Mm -hmm. We're not having like low women voices that are like, we're smart women with glasses. We're still very much like bubbly, you know, Gen Z. No, we're not Gen Z. We're millennials, millennially, Mm -hmm. you know, ditzes, Mm -hmm. but there's a way to be yourself and be the boss at the same time. And I also think if you don't know exactly what it is you're supposed to be doing, like just taking it as a learning opportunity, you're surrounded by a whole crew of people. Like what an amazing opportunity to learn what it takes to, you know, produce something, which Mm -hmm. we never had done before. What's a specific example of what you were doing on set that you're like, okay, we can't do that. That's setting the wrong tone for what we got to do. 
And hiding in production, like hiding from production meetings, mm -hmm. having the cast like sit on our laps while we're like whispering jokes while a take is going on. Mm, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, just like bare minimum professionalism. <laughs> uh, also, like we what we should have been doing is like going up to the director and being like, "Let me see your shot list." And mm -hmm. we had no, we really had no mentor as a showrunner either to be like, "This is what." this is what you do as a showrunner. We still to this day have not been showrunners with a budget example. We very slowly have gained the trust because Awesomeness TV is incredibly secretive with their budgets. A lot of streamers are a little bit secretive with their budgets. Um, I think Netflix is a little bit transparent, but now we've met enough women in the industry where we would feel comfortable and men where we would feel comfortable, comfortable saying, how do you work with your budget? Because the showrunner really makes the decisions of where the money goes. Mm -hmm. And we've never done that. Mm -hmm. um, which is also interesting because we w would sometimes be fighting against ourselves budget-wise, not realizing that we were cutting ourselves off. Mm -hmm. We got to the point, I think, in fourth season when we were directing that we knew, okay, we're going to cut the budget without knowing what the budget was in all of these episodes so that our episode, the, the last one, the finale would be really big and we would get to have 200 extras and a crane and a cop chase, all the things yeah. we ended up doing. Mm -hmm. But we had to do that blind. Mm -hmm. We always say to anyone that we meet that talks to us when we try to pitch a show, a lot of the concerns, especially with streamers when you're pitching is how much is this going to cost and how quickly can you do it? And we say there is no one that can run a show cheaper or faster than us. We did our writing room in 10 minutes and our production date started the next day. Mm -hmm. And we were sh not only finishing 10 episodes and writing them and like checking everyone else's writing as showrunners do, but also casting and checking on sets. We moved our writing room to the studio where we were shooting so that we could do everything at once. So when you are running your own show, uh, I, you just mentioned the casting part. What's that like where now suddenly you're in a position to hire other performers and you're so young and, you know, I'm sure you had an impulse to want to hire a bunch of your friends, but that might have been problematic. We hired, we hired every single one yeah. of our friends. <laughs> they truly did. That's we gave every single person that we've ever worked with an opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes we were super disappointed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, with Lauren, Lauren it Elise Buckley, your beautiful host. Hello. So it was nice. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't want to work with anyone else. We, oh, she shucks. came in for a one-night role. <laughs> um, was so fun to work with and so great that we wrote her in all four seasons, and she became a huge part of the cast. That's yeah. amazing. Okay, so you said sometimes it didn't work out. Um, I'm sure that must have been really disappointing because you you know you put yourself out there and gave somebody an opportunity. Can you describe some of the things you encountered that disappointed you about some of the people you gave opportunities to? And you don't have to give names, but just like examples. Name yeah. them all. <laughs> <laughs> it just becomes so apparent how people get in their own way. Like they're so scared of failure that they don't want to give it their all because then it's like, well, I didn't give it my all so that's so fucked up i i know that mentality it's like it's well majority yeah. of the people out here but that's crazy to me it's like you know well you just didn't see me at my best it's not that i'm not good enough it's just i didn't give it my best I, didn't like, I, didn't, I only had it for a day whatever the excuse is it's not like i really wanted it and i tried and i didn't get it mm -hmm. you would which be, is yeah. totally relatable yeah. yeah you would be shocked how many people would come in to interview to be a writer on the show and start with well you know the show wasn't really for me i'm clearly not your audience like point out that they don't like the show first before they start their interview shoot himself in the like foot thing first step well i but i it think the majority of the people it was so many people and i think it's because then if they didn't get the job it's like well i didn't really want it 
but yeah, it's like, well, why are, why are you here? We would have people that got auditions for the show that we got auditions. We got them the auditions Mm -hmm. that said, um, they never even reached out to say thank you or never even acknowledge that they went in and we would see their tapes. And then I would text them and be like, Hey, I saw you went in for my show. And it's like, Oh yeah, cool. Like, Oh my God. Okay. That leads to another question then. How has your perspective changed now? Like seeing that transformation of being on one side of the equation and then moving to the other side. You mean moving to the acting side? No, yeah, but I mean, just also like, you know, there, as people continue to progress through their careers, seeing like that, I don't know whether it's just a lack of understanding, lack of professionalism, professionalism, maybe even like, you know, envy or jealousy or disappointment or something like that. You know, there was a showrunner who came in to uh, a panel we were doing at the union. Um, she had been the showrunner of a show called Army Wives. And she said something super cool where she was like, I used to think that success was like in a little box. And when somebody reached in and grabbed some for themselves, it left less for everybody else. And she's like, what I've come to understand is there's no limit to what's in that box and that mm-hmm. you can celebrate everybody's success. You don't have to feel like someone else's success is less for you. But my assumption is that that. Um, and it's also part of the reason why I don't tend to post the bookings that I have on social for people to see like, Hey guys, I blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I would rather somebody else see me in something and then organically be like, Hey, did I, was that you? And I'm like, yeah, that was me. But my, my, you know, and this might be dumb, but my own concern has been, I don't want a single person who is friends with me on social to feel bad about themselves because they see me doing something positive. And so I've just kind of been like, it's fine. I don't need to toot my own horn. That's part of the fun. (laughs) We feel like we try really hard to celebrate every victory Mm. as little or big as it is, because we really... This Every, industry is so hard and, and makes you feel so small mm-hmm. and nothing ever feels big enough. You know, it's like, oh, well, we sold this show, but it's just a streaming. But it's show. just a streaming. Yeah. You know? the just, not, we've got to get rid of the just word. But it's mm-hmm. not just us. We'll be really proud. We went on a meeting a week ago. We show ran. We broke a network's record. We show ran four seasons of a, of a series, a 22 minute, like anybody else. And it was harder because it was for no money mm-hmm. and there were so many other obstacles it was with you know youtube influencers that added a whole other layer of difficulty and still we'll go on meetings where someone will say yeah we need a real showrunner though with um you Rough. know an overall yeah that's insane because you guys dove into the deep end with it and they just were like okay here you go and you you wrote you show ran you produced you directed some um but that's it, why we celebrate the victories is yeah, because yeah. you can't focus on, I mean, you can, and we do focus on the little comment that sits with you and grows and makes you start to feel a little bit crazy, but we have to, that's why we, we have a hashtag called pitch with a bitch where every time we go on a pitch meeting, we'll take a picture and like write a little pun because it reminds, it pops up and we go back and we look at where it shows us where we've been mm-hmm. and it's fun and we want to make it, we have to make it fun. Yeah, we have to. Otherwise we'll go nuts. I would say the biggest mistake and learning curve that we've had is not producing our own material. Our biggest struggle is wanting to be in the things that we create. And so many of the time, so much of the time they're like, no, you can't. Yeah. Because we had the the success first in the writing field. So Mm -hmm. it's hard for people to see you as more than one thing. Still? Like even now with all the multi-hyphenates and everything? Yeah, still. Still. And you guys did make a pilot presentation that you acted in and directed mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that and like how you put yourself in it and 
where that is getting you now? So, yeah, we did write direct and star in that, but it's still we had funding from Canvas. So we went on a pitch meeting. Mm -hmm. This company called Canvas Media said, we want to work with you. We weren't really interested until they were like, we'll shoot something. We'll give you $25,000 to do whatever you want. We made a mistake on the project we picked. It was like a very, but we had to learn that our voice, all of our voice, acting, directing, writing is too much of one voice. Like we need to collaborate. Oh, interesting. Um, Because we're so heightened and so crazy that if we don't have someone being like, hey, this is not real life anymore, (laughs) then you get what we produced. Um, So we, it was in the second season of the foursome writing room during the week that we assigned scripts where everyone went off. We went and shot this thing. It was a one day shoot, 11 pages, $25,000, I think a 15 hour day. And it was like five different locations. It was, we had to do it so fast. That was another mistake. I think we really should have narrowed it down to like a solid few pages because we don't really end up using the full thing anyway. We kind of cut it together into a sizzle. Mm. We had Jillian Bell, Fortune Feimster, and Lil Rel Howry, who is just off of Get Out, who we didn't know. The other two girls were friends with, so they were doing us a solid. But Lil Rel came in for 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. And we were like, why are you here? And he's like, I like to act. And we're like, great. <laughs> I love just that. <laughs> like a lovely, pr- and it was so much police jargon that he had to do. And we had this thing, you know, we edited it together. It was okay. We had no playback. So directing yourself without playback is a waste of your time. Mm-hmm. Get a director. Mm-hmm. Um, it just won't be good. But for us, that was the first thing that we ever directed. And we really, we knew that we wanted to direct for some. At, by that point, we had really been like asking the directors a lot of questions, trying to learn what all the jobs on set were and prepare ourselves to be able to direct. And we needed to prove that we were able to shot list and, and direct. So that was our way of getting to direct foursome. So it's totally worth it, but it could have been better. It could have been better. There's so many, I mean, that was the biggest learning experience. And then we caught this, the trailer together. The trailer's kind of cute. It's got fun music and titles. So any, Mm -hmm. any good editing can make anything not great look okay. So we cut it together and right as we were going out to go pitch the show, me too happened. Um, Mm. and our show has some, like a pretty major plot line has to do with abuse and fake abuse and somebody claiming somebody abused them that actually did it. And the minute you could see on their faces when they were watching the trailer, everyone was just like, no, thank you as they should have been. And we were like, Oh, this is, we're never going to sell this. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. But we got this awesome experience and it was like a good, you know, you learn. Yeah, you live and you learn. But that did lead you to then being allowed to direct on foursome. It led us to being, yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then we directed three episodes on foursome. And really, the first episode we directed was insane because so many things went wrong. And uh, an actor refused to be directed by us. So he got to be directed by... Our mentor, Bennett. Um, So we had to come in and direct for the first time, piecing together half of the scene that somebody else basically directed. Yeah, he wouldn't even be, like, off camera, so we couldn't shoot over his shoulder. We had to, like, hire a double and then match the lighting. It was... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? What's this? Somebody refused to be directed by you? Well, he... Influencers, baby. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> that's part of the challenge he wasn't we, we can come... work with any diva anytime yeah, it's definitely. true you really like overcame every single obstacle i feel like with that show that could have been thrown at you and like the types of people i mean we left that we left the third season was so hard in so many ways but we also behaved like not good we like talked sm- tr- trash about the company mm-hmm. and they found out and they were like you can't talk trash about us we're the company and we're like we're sorry we left, <laughs> we left the third season being like they couldn't pay us a million dollars to come back and do another season of this and show. they felt mutual it was a mutual feeling when we left they said we'll never work together again and we go ditto babe and we both left our separate ways and a week later we got a phone call from the company being like you're picked up which for a fourth season. was the fastest pickup we had ever had Man. and we just laughed we couldn't stop in the laughing receiver for like uh, and then they hung up on us they were like, okay, I guess we'll talk to you later. <laughs> then they called us back and we're like, let's go to dinner. Then we went to dinner and it's just like us and these two women who we've, and we love these two women very much now, but it was tense. You know, you, it's like going through war together. Um, and they were like, what's it going to take for you guys to, to do another season? And we were like, our own show. And they were like, yes. And we were like, a put pilot? And they were like, no. <laughs> And then we came back for a fourth season for less than a million dollars. Less than a million, but not too shabby. (laughs) So you said, uh, what's what's a put pilot? A put pilot is something that happens very rarely, although this year I've seen more announcements for put pilots than any other year. Mm. Um, A put pilot is basically when a network picks up your show and agrees no matter what to film the pilot. Mm -hmm. Even if they, you know, no matter what, they'll Mm -hmm. film it. Mm -hmm. So that's what you want, because if you can get something on tape, no matter if it goes or not, at least it's like towards your reel. It shows your voice. Mm -hmm. You get to make something, which I think is the goal, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's very, very hard. Why do you think that even though you guys had that breakdown with them, that they wanted to come back and do a fourth season? Well, YouTube was not didn't know any of the drama. Mm -hmm. So they thought everything was peachy keen. We delivered on another series, Mm -hmm. you know. And we're so glad that we went back for that fourth season. It was the best season of all of them. And we left, you know, feeling so happy and thankful for the experience as opposed to leaving being like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. the best. Yeah. So, so what good. was the progression from season one, two, three, four in terms of your capability or your experience? Yeah, I think we just our confidence fourth season. We were like, we only want to work with the people we want to work mm-hmm. with. We're tired of working with divas or people that don't respect us. We knew our worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went from being like, sorry, can we, excuse me, may we to being like, we will not come on set until everyone's contract is done. Mm-hmm. We will not mm-hmm. hire not one person, not one department head, not one PA will be hired mm-hmm. unless we interview them. Mm-hmm. We were so strong in the people that we surrounded ourselves with. We were over 50, 50, um, for women behind the scenes. Our DP was a woman, our first AD, half of the directors. I mean, 70% of of the the writing room. It was so many women and it was just such an empowering set. And it just, it felt so good and comfortable. And everyone was just rooting for each rooting other. for each other. Everyone had each other's backs. I mean, our crew was like, when we were directing, they were our biggest cheerleaders. They would do anything for us. And it was just such an unusual experience. You know, sometimes sets can be so cold or nerve wracking or everyone's exhausted and grumpy. And everyone was genuine. I mean, obviously we had our moments, but everyone was just working their hardest and happy to be there and happy to be a part of it. And it, it made the whole experience 
totally different from the third season so much fun and so that was because you got to have more control because you went in that time with like your list of demands and it's like approval of who would get what yeah i think that like if you go in and be like this is what i need to succeed Mm -hmm. please empower Mm -hmm. me as opposed to i'm sorry for existing can i have this opinion like you're so afraid when you're young and especially i think when you're a young female um to fail that you are apologizing all the time and you're you don't think you're ready and you don't want to step on toes but you'll just get flattened as a showrunner we got flattened so many times and then we would get you know we're not women who are pushovers so when we would get flattened which we set up the ability for people to flatten us we would get angry and irritated and then it would cause drama so Mm -hmm. it it just coming in and being like, this is my opinion and this is what it has to be at the same time being flexible and being a collaborator, not being unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, it just led to a completely different experience. And it wasn't until fourth season that we truly felt comfortable enough to be those women. Yeah. yeah. And the fourth season, we also were like, let's give opportunities to people the way that we were given an opportunity to show run with never staff writing, you know? So like our camera op, Eliane wanted to DP and we let her, which is like a huge undertaking for the entire, we only have one DP for the entire season and she killed it. Like we're so, we're so happy that she did it and that it was her. We can't imagine it would be anyone else. The show is incredibly hard because it's a comedy, but it's, it's uh, very heightened. So like everyone will be talking and then a bird will appear that someone will jump on and fly away on. And then there's like a ghost <laughs> behind a hidden door. Like it's all insane. Mm-hmm. So it's like the costume changes. We had a sixties episode. We had an in sync episode. Like the costume changes gags where it's like someone's something's the lockers are falling on them all of a sudden. And we have to do it so cheap and so fast and so dangerous <laughs> <laughs> that it's just, everyone has to be so game and it has to be fu- like, and what we realized, I mean, the biggest thing that we realized too, is that the attitude on the set starts at the top. Yeah, it so trickles down. It really trickles down. So if we let ourselves for even one minute be bitchy or rude or have attitudes or whatever it is, it just poisons the set. Mm-hmm. So the happier we were and the more we like made it a fun place to work, the happier everybody else was. Yeah. Well, and one thing you kind of mentioned was um, how you gave as many people as you could opportunities and people a chance to step up and do things for the first time. Um, but I remember you telling me that that was something that you were very disappointed in as you were working was a lot of people and especially like women didn't necessarily give you, a, a helping hand or an encouraging like outlook. Um, and so how going forward, cause I know like with me, I've gotten far more auditions and those kinds of things only because you guys were like, Hey, here's our friend, Lauren, let's give her a shot. So how going forward do you use that to, uh, like for your next show? I'm sorry. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're so women didn't, we've had a lot of women help us. We haven't had a mentor that has been a woman that's outside of foursome. Okay. I think the people outside, I mean, foursome was all women and they gave us all of our jobs. And I would say a huge part of, season four being so great was that Shauna had come back to the company the was, exact that we're working with at Nickelodeon and mm-hmm. she had our backs. Like she empowered us every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Without her, I mean, without her, literally this, it was the hardest show ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of the time 
like young executives and this isn't everyone we just met this woman like the other day off of the yeah. WGA direct platform that was so rad and was like really empowering but I, it just depends it's like I think people in general don't take us seriously don't don't consider YouTube red even a streaming platform just we've because it a, failed we've had a lot of people tell us that we need to like pull back our personalities and only show you know 10 percent we and literally that, wait, had who said this to you multiple people yeah what like on the network side no like people that we've worked with mm -hmm. on our level mm -hmm. people we've maybe our peers mm -hmm. um have said wear a mask like the reason that you are not and the getting to the next level oh that because when you sound like this and you look like this and you wear shirts that are off the shoulder and you twirl your hair and you have a high-pitched voice and you talk fast, mm -hmm. people don't think you're smart or people don't think you can handle a show. Mm -hmm. um, because on top of... if you, Women being successful is in right now and super cool and everyone's for it, but it's still a certain type of woman. Mm -hmm. It's not... You know what I mean? There's still yeah. stereotypes. And men, if a man came in and had a high-pitched voice and was talking really fast, like I, I think that it's a just certain as, type is viewed as acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So we've been told that our aesthetic is distracting. You feel like that's held you back, that kind of judgment? Or you feel like, you know, yeah, you got that feedback, but you've been able to carve I mean, your own path anyway? I mean, we can't be anyone other than who we are. Like, we <laughs> totally. can come and wear, like, business suits, but it would be an act. Like, that's just you not... You would see through it so fast. We're not, not, not who good of actors. <laughs> I mean, also... it. While, yes, I'm sure that we have not sold things because we've been in matching outfits and they've been like, mm, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm sure that maybe someone's liked an idea and doesn't like us. Mm -hmm. But we've also sold for some because of this, because yeah, we were wearing be matching outfits. Yeah. Yes. And I think, like, if you don't like us, then you're not going to like working, like, working on a show with us. So mm -hmm. it's better that we didn't sell it initially as opposed to, like, it being torture the entire time we're working together. So how are you two feeling now these days? Like, are you feeling like a sense of like peace and excitement about the stories you're going to tell in the future? Or do you feel like there's new challenges now that are kind of like eating away at you? Like, how are you feeling these days? I mean, there's always challenges eating away at us. I currently <laughs> working on this kid's show and it is just not, it doesn't come naturally for us. It's We're struggling. Mm -hmm. um, what part of it doesn't come naturally? All of it. First of all, it's a show with 11 characters that are all meeting each other for the first time. Oh, so wow. there's no written in backstory. Someone can't be like, oh, remember when your mom was like this and then you set up, this mm -hmm. is the type of person who? They're, we have to get all of their story out in the first episode without sounding like, hi, I'm Mark and I like this and I'm, this is my personality. <laughs> so that's really hard. And then coming from Foursome where it was so, you know, everything was sexual and it was very raunchy to then having to find humor. It's like, what does an eight-year-old think is funny? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, doing a reboot is like, please let us not ruin yeah. what's great about this original thing. Yeah. It's yeah, hard. I mean, we spent, like, a solid four days on how we were going to incorporate the theme song because it's like everyone who loves this show or remembers the show, that's the thing they remember. Mm -hmm. But also, if you watch it, it's like a five minute long theme song where it's so crazy and kids like new kids watching the show would be like i'm gonna turn this off i don't understand what this is it's too much like you can't do too much nostalgia because the 
it the audience is children and children don't care that something was cool in the 90s mm-hmm. right so it's like what are who are we really including all the nostalgia for the parents mm-hmm. they don't I mean, we'll see. Hopefully they care. Yeah, it's a fine line. But that's hard. And also, like, while it's so exciting to work with people we love and it's exciting to do a reboot, it's something we've always wanted to do, we really want to be doing our version of Pen15. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have a show that's, like, ho- hopefully our version of Pen15 with a company that will be going out and pitching. But, like, every time you get a job that's not the job that you really want to be doing, you kind of hold your breath being like, am I going down a road? Remember when I moved out here to be an actor and now we're showrunners and writers and directors, which is so cool. And if this is all we got to do in life, I really hope that I can be satisfied and happy. But it also is putting me so close to the screen that I'm not on. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. It also is a little heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So I think the way that we've chosen to fix that and what I'm very excited for in the future is that we're shooting shorts that we will be directing sometimes not directing that we're going to be in we're putting our money into making stuff that we can be in front of the camera because part of the reason nobody believes that we can be in front of the camera is because we're never in front of the camera yeah mm-hmm. so you gotta have to put some of your money that you make from the i've had a number of people recently say hey uh do you know any really you know great female directors or female writers or blah 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 so are you guys actually open to people wanting to meet with you guys to add value to their projects? oh yeah totally. definitely awesome if somebody has a budget for their thing and we don't have to deal with like raising the money and stuff mm-hmm. we're there in a heartbeat beautiful mm-hmm. yeah and so you guys also, because we've talked a bit about Foursome and about the next show that you have coming, um, but you guys pump out a lot of feature films and are constantly, uh, what did you say? I think it was like you write four features on average a year. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that process like and how do you develop each feature how do you go about pitching them that's different than your tv shows yeah we i mean we find it easier to write a feature just because it's not like you have to continue the world you know yeah think of the idea for the movie it has a beginning middle and end and that's kind of it um and as far as pitching them we always write the the features on spec as opposed to going to buy a feature I mean, I shouldn't say no one. It is super rare to sell a feature, especially as like a new writer, especially as a writer that's never sold a feature without writing a feature. Yeah. Like it's, you would be very hard pressed to find a company that's willing to pay you Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. Especially now when features are like not getting made Mm -hmm. except for like Marvel movies and all this stuff, especially comedies. It's like so hard to get a comedy made. Mm. Even like we'll go on big meetings at like universal where they're looking to reboot all of these monster movies, like the Frankenstein and the mummy. They're trying to do the whole, I forget what it's called. It's a universe. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to write it on spec. They're not paying anybody to do it, but they're willing to make the movie. Interesting. Yeah. So you're going with their, like, they give you the idea and they say, hey, we're looking for this. They're like, look at our library and pick out any of the monsters you want to do. And if you can find a really cool, fun take. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like Dracula's girlfriend or like, you know, whatever the new young thing is. Yeah. And But then what, how do you go about with your, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, but like one where we went to, yeah. Okay. Like the bat mitzvah film. Mm -hmm. So that was a concept you guys came up with, right? Not something that someone said they were looking for specifically. We haven't written any feature that someone was looking for specifically kind of sort of, except one time when our manager said that, um, Hocus Pocus two was happening. So we came up with like a full 
like 15 page treatment invoice with spell dialogue even that was our that'd be like our dream job Mm -hmm. and no one ever read it because her other client booked the job before us um and we fired her um (laughs) so when that happened we had this huge amount of work that we did that we loved and we were like we got to figure out a way to make this not hocus pocus too but something like it uh-huh. so Still that's the only that time that we've taken something that was it's really hard for us to write other people's versions of stuff yeah that's not really our jam we're not looking we're interested like it'd be fun to show on someone else's show maybe like in the, if it was a short project or to even supervise we're taking meetings on but i think like writing we have so many of our own ideas writing somebody else's thing it would have to be such a like a diamond in the rough for us to be pumped about spending that much time doing somebody yeah. else's idea. Yeah. And like for some was a writing assignment, you know, they had given us the general idea, but it was so up our alley that it came so naturally. And it was the sort of thing that we would want to do anyway, just like Hocus Pocus was. So it just kind of depends on the project too. When you guys talk, you, you keep using the word we and us and all that. And it's so lovely to hear. It's, I mean, it's such a, a blessing to find somebody that you can trust and work with and jive with and be creative with and hold each other accountable. And can you just describe a little bit about that journey of you guys being so you know close working on all Let's this Let's get romantic. <laughs> we were, I mean, we were super close before we even started writing together. We're like abnormally close people think that we're dating a lot of the time and are confused when they find out we're married to other people (laughs) so I do think that when you're a writing team it's like a marriage and the fact that we are able to spend you know 12 hours a day together is the number one thing that it takes to be a successful writing team like I would say it's more important to be able to spend 12 hours with somebody and not want to murder them dead than it is to write well together (laughs) um we it just, it, it took a minute to like find our flow. Like we have a very specific way of writing. I have to be on the left. Yeah. I'm on the right. Um, or I'm facing the door for across from each other and I have to type. Um, Marissa has to be able to think out loud. Like we have very specific things that we have to do to like succeed, but we're both hyper-organized. I think it's, it, it's really been a blessing. I can't imagine and getting to be actors. That's such an isolating experience which is wonderful in so many ways because it's like you get all the attention and you get all this moment and you're, but I, and I, we like having our individual acting careers and having people focus on us as individuals for acting. We really don't go out on the same things too often. Um, But when we get to write together and direct together, I can't imagine doing that alone. It would be so terrifying and like dealing with the drama that we've dealt with Mm -hmm. without somebody on my who I know is an ally and on my side no matter what would be horrifying yeah totally and while it is you know challenging to write with another person we don't we we do have basically one brain but we'll disagree every now and then it is like your draft goes from a first draft to a third draft immediately because you're you're arguing it out you're you know, you're challenging each other each step of the way. And then even just going into meetings, like I can't, I couldn't imagine going into a room without Selena. And we're so lucky that we're also self-aware when we go into a room and someone is drawn to one of us more than the other, that the person who they don't like as much is able to be like, Oh, okay, well I'll let them take over. You know, how long did that take to develop, like figuring out those little things with each other and finding like, Oh, I think out loud. I'm better at the typing. I feel, feel like we quick? figured right it out away. pretty quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
pretty, pretty quickly. And then also like the, you know, when you have a partner, you're splitting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get paid as separate entities. You're one entity. So it's there, there are things that are, you're like, Oh, I wish I was making more money. Why it does push you back. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, everyone in our writing room is qualifying for our health care except for us because we're splitting our paycheck. Oh, my God. But I didn't realize things that. Things are changing. Hopefully there's, like, meetings and all that jazz mm-hmm. and whatever. But we think the benefits outweigh the financial yeah. hardship. And also, we probably wouldn't be, who knows, if we'd be successful on our own. We think, like, Team S&M is what makes us special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys have, like, your own language, it seems Team like, S&M. so much of the time. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> S&M for Selena and Marissa, not just for raunch, <laughs> although that is what we write, is trash. <laughs> what is, um, other than the show that you have coming up, what would be your goal for the next, like, five years? Do you want to sell a show that you both star in? Do you want to do a film next? Yeah. What I mean, would be the dream, like, yes, next yes. step? <laughs> Both of those things, for sure. We definitely want to sh- sell a show that we get to star in, mm-hmm. and we would love to sell a feature that goes into production. I think we would love, like, the big dream is to have an overall deal at a studio that we get to make X amount of projects a year, and we would at first focus on our own material because mm-hmm. we have so much shit that we're obsessed with that so many people won't let us do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, all it takes is one person, like Pen15 really is our North Star because mm-hmm. it just takes one person to get it and to let you make it, to, to make somebody trust you. Yeah. You know, one of the things we found um, that's been incredible about these table reads I was telling you about earlier is that when we host them at all these incredible places and we, you know, the writers invite like their managers and their friends who are directors and other producers or things like the writing partners, et cetera. There's a, there's a magic around hearing great performers bring the material to life that when they invite all these other guests, they're like, Oh, like this helps me see the, the potential in the material that was hard for me to see when I was just like looking at the page, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it's something that I highly recommend to you guys. And if you guys ever wanted us to bring one of your scripts to life and something like that, we'd be happy yeah. to do it. I was just at an event at the writer's guild actually on Monday of last week, they had this wonderful panel that was co-hosted by the PGA and it was on uh, including more people's with uh, people with disabilities in film and TV projects that great a great panel of like Glenn Mazzara from you know The Walking Dead and Catherine Beattie from uh, NCS New Orleans, uh, Brandon Sonier, who is the showrunner on LA's Finest, and then again, Tim Zageros, who is a producer on the Peanut Butter Falcon with mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf and all. And it was this wonderful, like, you know, hour and a half discussion. And one of the women that was putting on the event um, had actually attended one of our table reads because of another writer that she had come to. And then now we're talking about doing stuff together with like PGA and SAG after together as well as WGA and whatever. And like, she's like, you should invite us to these reads because then we could find great material from doing that and all so I just, I'm thinking of you guys as performers like if you have these projects that you're obsessed with that you're having trouble moving it's like fill a room with amazing producers and people whatever and show them what you can do and bring it to life and make it like a freaking planet Hollywood of like your vision and and that's what we've been doing so um, yeah, that's, yeah we would love to that's yeah. awesome we do table reads for every one of our projects on a much smaller scale we mm-hmm. normally will invite any of our writer friends and get notes from that minute it's so beneficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it would be really fun to do it in a more theatrical yeah. setting. We tried to do it with the blacklist mm-hmm. because we've won 
we won a computer science grant, which makes zero sense. <laughs> we our essay was literally like, we feel qualified to win this grant because we are writing this essay on a computer <laughs> like it was a full joke and they were like here's five thousand dollars yeah they were like your essay was funny <laughs> that's amazing so we were like what we did that we went to the number one with our uh, high school script that we optioned and so we emailed them with bat mitzvah which is really our our passion feature we really we have the script i got bat mitzvah for my 30th birthday last year mm-hmm. and basically it's a party movie it's billy madison but a little Jewish mm-hmm. <laughs> and Billy Madison is already pretty Jewish. <laughs> um, but we had, uh, you know, that's like our dream is to get that made for like under 3 million, go to Sundance, do the, we went to Sundance last year and saw the success of Britney runs a marathon. And we were like, dreams do come true. This can really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out it's harder than Britney <laughs> runs a marathon made it look. Mm-hmm. So we've, we, would, we tried to do it with the blacklist, but it, because it's so much, so many children, mm-hmm. um, they were like, mm-hmm. Seems, yeah, it's hard for them hard. to cast it. Hmm. Oh, you mean like one of their blacklist live readings that uh-huh. they did at Montalban? Cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we were, we were working. We started working with the blacklist on reads about a year ago, and so uh, so yeah, working with the team over there doing these reads. We work with them. We work with Coverfly, and then the Writers Guild, and then independent like companies and stuff. That's really cool. Yeah, well, yeah. we'd love to be involved. Yeah. Hey, beautiful. We'll send you 15 scripts. And you can <laughs> We've got a team of eight and about 30 volunteers. Trust me, we crank this shit out. We do a reading every week. And we Amazing. just we did two on Saturday. That's really That's cool. so yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, it's so much fun. Because, you know, one of the things uh, that that every actor kind of knows, like this doesn't just apply to actors, but you know, we hear this word about networking and you come here from around the country and you're pursuing your dreams and you know, you need to somehow connect with other people, but it it can be confusing as to how to do it and how to do it in a way that isn't weird. And that, you know, some people go like a a route that I didn't go, which is trying to make people out at bars and parties and go to Hollywood parties and this and that. And I've never felt like that's really the best place to meet people that is like business focused as opposed to like other agenda focused Mm -hmm. Um, and then when you're trying to meet people in a professional setting you get like two minutes with somebody at a film festival while there's a line of other people wanting to talk to them or you know conventions or god knows like you don't really get a lot of time to have a wonderful like connecting moment to build a real relationship with someone and then you're thinking do i just like reach out via social media do i write them a letter do i how do i connect with people but if you can find a way to add value to them and something like this where you're spending an afternoon bringing a story to life with other performers and the friends of like the writers and whatever it's just the most organic lovely reason we all came out here is to tell a story mm-hmm. and you're spending like three or four hours with each other having a discussion about the reading celebrating the art like getting to know each other's story and how they ended up in the room um so yeah it's one of the best like networking quote-unquote things that i've found that you can do is yeah. something like that and so it's been incredibly valuable it became an official program of the los angeles local of sag after so now we've got table reads that we're doing through the union um, so yeah, it's something that has really changed my own life and my network from doing that stuff. Well, whether or not we get to participate, we'd love to come and just yeah. see one. It is so fun. Yeah. I love that. I appreciate it. As that. long as it's not a drama. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a script. So, you know, a buddy of mine, his name is Jack Levy. And I don't know if you guys are sci-fi nerds at all, but there's a show that was on for a while called Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. That they had, um, like rebooted from the seventies. And I, I watched the entire series and the mini movies like in 2010 or something like that. 
like that, just shotgunned it for a whole summer. And Jack Levy did all the post-production sound on that entire series and the movies. He's like the post-production, uh, like supervising sound editor for dozens of network shows and things like that. He's a monster. He won his Emmy for Battlestar Galactica. Um, but Jack uh, is uh, has really become like an in-demand guy to talk to about scripted podcasts, which is so weird that that's like a that's like podcasts have been around forever, but they're suddenly sexy again. Everybody wants to like do a scripted yeah, podcast. Yeah, pitched on we Broadway Video, which is Lauren Michaels' production company, brought us in to talk about a narrative podcast. And oh, we were like, wow. oh, what? Right, and it is so weird. Recommended uh, Gay Future. Gay Future. Have you guys listened to? Which no. Art, which we think is one of the best examples of an amazing, hilarious sound heavy. The sound engineer had to be so phenomenal mm -hmm. and they did the whole thing like in their apartment and they something. sold it as a tele they sold it as an right that's series. like the new thing wow. because instead of shooting a pilot and spending all this money that for something that could not even go to series why not spend a fraction on a really well done podcast people love podcasts like half the population listens to them like on a daily basis yeah and then you've built this ip up so if you do take it to series there's already like a community that's talking about it that's excited about it we're very into the narrative podcast yeah, yeah and i had a buddy of mine who actually wrote a one-hour podcast pilot um, for like a politics oriented um, show, a guy named J.S. Mayak, who's a dear buddy of mine. He's actually one of my partners at the Writers Guild for the table read submission process. And so we did a table read at AFI like two, over two and a half years, two and a half years ago, something like that. And he took that script to his team and they're like, oh, nobody wants to do anything with politics. He's like, I disagree. So he turned it into a six part podcast, got like Lawrence Fishburne and oh you know, Patrick J. Adams and Shanola Washington and like Kate Walsh, all these incredible people signed on to want to do this thing. And he made a good return on his investment going out of pocket, like producing the whole thing and partnered with like the, one of the biggest podcast distribution things. And, and now he's got to deal with Sony where he's doing writing for them. And I mean, it's just crazy about how podcasts are suddenly like this really cool yeah. like, way to discover new IP. And it's like a fraction of the investment and every big house is doing it. So the reason I started telling this story is that Jack and I have been taking this idea to different like networks and, and production companies as like a way to incubate talent for series, et cetera. And they seem to be really responsive. And then, um, you know, Coverfly is like, we want to be involved providing like really great scripts through our platform. And there's a script uh, that I love so much called uh, Darren the Bold and the Sword of Boldness. That is like this, like Robin Hood men in tights, only like more R-rated than mm -hmm. that. Uh, and, uh, I, and I haven't even talked to Justin yet. He might say no, but we want to use it for this thing, one of our, our inaugural episode. But yeah, whatever I invite you to, I'll keep that in mind. But yeah, one of these definitely. things is like so funny. Yeah. So great. That's awesome. Wait, but I want to hear too about, um, so you guys just went in to talk about a podcast. Kind of, sort of. They brought us in to supervise somebody else's show. They okay. didn't pick us, which felt awesome. <laughs> um, but... They were they were like, we're really into these narrative podcasts. I think they have a deal with Amazon. And they gave us a couple of examples, like Heads Will Roll, Kate McKinnon's narrative podcast that we did not get a chance to listen to. But also then they said Gay Future. So we were like, oh, let's see what it's about. Because we're huge, avid podcast listeners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, not narrative, but otherwise. And we both listened yeah. to it and were dead. We thought it was so funny. And we it was were like, so engaging. So, yeah, we were so upset when we were finished with it. We were like, we want more. I think they're coming out. So Gay Future is about what Mike what would happen if Mike Pence was like the only straight man and everyone was gay and like his he's the savior for all straight men oh my god that's incredible um, it's, but it's like guys, so oh my god you have to listen to it so. Have you guys heard that one? I'm trying to remember what it was called. A very something murder that was put out by the Onion. I think I got to find it. We listened to that this summer. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to have to find it for you guys. Someone was telling us about yeah. that in a meeting. Yeah, we, we haven't list. listened to it yet. But then we thought we have this, we have so many ideas that like are just too crazy for TV. And we're like, that would be so great with some sound effects. Yes. And so would you write them to be like 30 minute episodes or would it be a totally different kind of format? I think it would be a different format. Mm-hmm. I think 30 30 minutes. I don't know. I don't know what the I format. I would have to look long. at a script and do yeah. the same thing we did when we first started writing yeah. to copy the format correctly. But we're so, part of our problem is we're such bad producers when someone doesn't give us money. When someone gives us the money, we're great producers. But when it comes to like, how do we do this by ourselves? Mm-hmm. We just are like, it's too hard. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. We're already doing 17 jobs that like aren't necessarily mm-hmm. the top job we want to be doing. So mm-hmm. it feels overwhelming. Um, but I definitely think we want to get into the narrative podcast game. Yeah. A very Amazing. fatal murder. That's okay. what it's called. Yeah, I've definitely heard of it. Oh, you have? Yeah. Not. We listened to it. It was very funny and well-produced, so I highly recommend that yeah, as far we'll as like a, a comedy thing. If it's put up by The Onion, you know it's going to be fairly yeah. good. Yeah. Amazing. Uh-oh. Weird lull. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let it that out. <laughs> no, leave it. I love like that little moment. <laughs> everyone just looks at each other well i had a question that i was going to ask you guys which is you know this is something i've been asking my students recently which is so many people come here i don't know what it is about our education system that trains us to be lemmings or trains us to be followers and not leaders but what i tell people is if you want to be a lead you got to be a leader right and like you said the number one on the call sheet sets the tone for the entire you know set well, I'm sure it comes from higher than that, but certainly mm-hmm. I've been on network shows where the one, number one on the call sheet is really not engaged and not very nice. And it, everyone, just, it, we miss the opportunity to have everybody uplifted by the graciousness of, you know, the leading actor on that. Yeah. Um, but what I've been telling my students is like, okay, well, imagine somebody came to you and said, budget's no, uh, you know, obstacle feature series what is the story that you want to tell what's the dream role what's the dream like uh story like what past present future whatever what's the story you would tell if if you could uh and so instead of trying to get employed on somebody else's stories why don't you tell your own story yeah and develop that and see where we can go with it. And out of the 30 students and their ideas, we've had amazing stuff come up. And one of those will go on to do something, even if it gets made and you know, something. But like, so what is that for you guys? What is the dream role? What is the dream story that you would want to be in? Just that you want to experience as a performer, not as a director, writer, but mm-hmm. you as an actor. I mean, our favorite thing that we have written that we want to do is this show called step friend. And the concept is Selena and I are best friends and she meets my dad, falls in love with him and marries him. And now she's my stepmom. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a submersive multicam. So it makes fun of a multicam and all the multicam tropes. Mm-hmm. So it's so insane. And the characters are so my character is so motherly and like, I, I get it's hard to explain because it's literally bonkers and this is probably why it didn't sell the like laugh track gets so high the laugh tracks get so high pitched that a bird falls up the sky and dies it's like too many cooks oh my god but with heart and story built in uh-huh. and so i've always wanted to be an ingenue in a love story even though i'm such a character actress and everything i get cast for is um best friend that steals your identity or like drug troll under a bridge like that's usually my wheelhouse which i'm great with i'll do that till i die but like both of us would get to play these parts where it's like we're best friends but i'm her mom and it's like you're rooting for them as a mother-daughter duo and like they have this foundation of being best friends and they genuinely need each other but she's broken this cardinal rule you know so it's like can they come back from that and each episode has 
a typical 90s sitcom trope. Mm -hmm. So it's like the one where the parent chaperones a date, but it's like the the parent is the same age as me. (laughs) And so so that's our dream. Like, that'd be the dream. I also would like die to play a high school. Oh, yeah. I grew up on nothing but high school movies, 10 Things I Hate About You and all of John Hughes. I'm from, we're from, where John Hughes is from. So Home Alone is my favorite movie. <laughs> we're talking more like 16 Candles and Breakfast <laughs> Club yeah. and Weird Science, Paris but Home Alone is great. I know, I just want to say. <laughs> Shout out to Home Alone. It always has been. That's a solid one. But I would like, you know, our football field was the football field where, what's his face? He punches, punches the air. in the end of Breakfast Club. Judd. So like getting mm-hmm. to play a literal high school student in any kind of comedy high school movie would also be the dream. I would love to get to be in like a TV musical like Glee or a movie musical where it's like combining the two worlds. That would be so fun. Do you dance as well by any chance? I mean... (laughs) 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 And then the other dream would be to get to do something so physical like like a Marvel movie. Oh yeah. Okay, so here's another question, um, and I'm going to combine two of mine into one. So you mentioned how awesome it was using the portal of the Writers Guild, you know, and I'm so in awe of the Writers Guild because, you know, SAG-AFTRA contributed at SAG at the time contributed to the problem that we're facing right now that the Writers Guild is fighting. And I'm one of the few uh, member leaders at SAG-AFTRA that believe SAG should be in the fight and should immediately help the Writers Guild win their battle. And I'm confused as to why our leadership hasn't done that. And so it's something I'm pushing from within our leadership. And I feel like a lot of Writers Guild members I've talked to are like, where is SAG-AFTRA in this? And the DGA. We're very much a union that is like, okay, writer, like we're the kids in glasses that like, we don't really need you. Yeah. But everything starts with the script. Yeah. As our sweet David Goodman would say. Yeah. And, I, and I've and i watched all of his speeches <laughs> and things like that. And I've, over doing these table reads, I've been meeting, you know, dozens and dozens of Writers Guild members. I'm going to their events now and things like that. So what, uh, and, and I just love the fact that this adversity has bonded them together. I learned that they kept the strike captains in place after the 2008 writer strike and just took strike off of it, but that there's captains that then yeah. help and organize the membership, which I think is more manageable with 7,000, was it seven, 9,000 members in Writers Guild oh, West or no, something between seven and something like that. Sir. But you know, there's 80,000 Los Angeles SAG after members. So it's a lar- larger mm-hmm. logistical challenge to have them all be assigned to a captain or something of that nature. But I just wanted to hear from you guys about how uh, the use of that portal and what it means to be able to find your, you know, writers directly and also what your experience has been being part of that union. And if you are interested in or have been pulled in to positions of leadership, because I have a uh, another recent friend that I made is a guy named Adam Conover, who does like the that whole Adam ruins everything thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the minute I showed up into like the writer's guild, they're like, Ooh, young person who's on like YouTube, <laughs> like pulling him into all these things, trying to get, <laughs> have you guys been recruited? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you involved in leadership or getting involved in leadership? I mean, there? We've done like a few panels. We and are a part of a, a committee that's like met one time, but they're still the trying to figure out wild, wild west <laughs> for streaming. And by the time they figure it out, it's going to be, com- <laughs> streaming is going to be completely different, but we would love to be involved. I mean, the, answer is we don't really know you know every it's hard to say we can only speak to our experience everything is different and changing so quickly yeah that it's hard it's like we all just have to like share what we make and share what's going on and share contracts and be super transparent with each other mm-hmm. um and we will show up and talk to and mentor anyone and everyone we, yeah. we donate 
so much of our time mm -hmm. to people figuring it out yeah. and in hopes that people will do that for us too. And thus far they have. Yeah. yeah. And then as far as the, like the portal portion of the question, it was eye opening to us because so this portal, basically the first of every month you can submit to 10 different producers or production companies. And I mean like Netflix, Amazon, Apple, it's a lot of big ones. And then also some smaller, more independent ones. And Selene and I are lucky because we get to submit to 20 because we're a team. Sneaky. Um, we're sneaky. Yeah. We probably shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> but, but just a little before, before we started using the portal, just to show you the difference it makes, we were at UTA and uh, artist first two humongous companies mm -hmm. and a month before the wga had everybody fire their representation agents um we fired our whole team mm -hmm. not knowing that this was about to happen <laughs> um because they weren't supportive as a, of us as multi-hyphenates they said just right mm -hmm. um so we fired everyone and we were like, what are we going to do? And then everyone fired their agents. Mm -hmm. And we were like, great. Well, now we're in the same boat as everyone. Mm -hmm. And this portal came out and we, from that portal, have had more meetings in the last few months than we had the last two years with, you know, Amazing. huge agency. That's and so it did, and the portal itself, it's, it's, you, it's not like they'll meet anyone. We've been the, one of the few people that have gotten called in you have to make a good cover letter mm -hmm. um, and do some research on the company as well. And when we reach specific. out, we look specifically what they've done and we are like, we love this show, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And also it's, it's released our like inhibition when it mm -hmm. comes to doing a blind call and being like, you don't know us. We don't have reps meet us mm -hmm. and people are more willing to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even for the people that we do know, I mean, it's like we have our own personal connections to people we've met with over the years and we keep a very detailed list of like who they are, what their position is, mm -hmm. um, you know, when it is that we met them, what they were looking for. But when we had representation, we were like too nervous to reach out directly to them. It was like this weird middleman. And so we lost, you know, communication with all these people. And when we didn't have a team anymore, we just reached out to our whole contact list list. And people were like, oh, I, we haven't heard from you for years. Like, of course, we'll have you come in. We'd love to hear God, what you're, you're up to. I feel like there's such a lesson for our entire creative community about yeah. how much we need to be collaborating with each other, not letting middle people like separate us from each other. You are your own boss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so important to not wait for someone to do it for you, to create your own stuff, to write your own things, to keep so busy and to not, to be fearless. You can have an agent and pick up a phone and call a company and pitch yourself. Mm -hmm. There's no reason not to. Yeah. And that's a big part of what I'm passionate about now is how do we stitch our communities closer together? The writers guild, the, you know, the producers guild, uh, the DGA SAG after, um, even, you know, CSA, things like that, where we all want to be meeting with each other. And the only thing that gets in the way is the protecting of the the value of our time by not being inundated with people that aren't ready to be meeting us. But that's yeah. why things like the TV Academy are, are ostensibly supposed to be the place where, okay, you've had to have worked recently to be a member of something like that. Mm -hmm. So that should be a place where there's more cross-pollination. And I just had a great meeting with the, the CEO and the chairman of the TV Academy, a guy named Frank Sherma. And I was telling Frank, I'm like, dude, I've been a member of the TV Academy for two years. And all I did is go to some like 
town hall thing for actor performers where everybody was talking about how to get each other Emmys. But I'm like, I want to be meeting with, I want to see what are we doing to meet each other in these different peer groups, like the mm-hmm. writer's peer group and producer's peer group and the director's. Like, that's why I want to be part of the television academy. Like, we, you know, if we're not going to do it just amongst like, hey, you're in the union, good, but that's still not good enough. Okay, now you're in the academy. That should be good enough where we can meet with each other yeah. and have those conversations. That's what's so wonderful about the WGA is they've got a mixer for everything. We've mm-hmm. gone to women mixers. And I mean, literally every category of every minute thing that you can yeah. think of, they mm-hmm. have mixers and drinks, comedy writers, comedy feature writers, comedy TV writers, half hour comedies, mm-hmm. multicams. They'll separate us and put us together and have all these events. They're incredibly inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really want you to get involved and they answer like when, for SAG, I did a commercial when I first moved out here and it was really, it played all the time. And I was like, how do you, there was like no explanation of knowing how you get paid and where it goes and how you're, how you're supposed to audit them. Mm-hmm. It was so confusing. Yeah. And then when I got a check for $4,000 for the entire thing, I was like, how do I know if this is right? And there was no one to help me. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, am I a bad businesswoman because I don't know the answer mm-hmm. and I'm not like tracking this. Mm-hmm. And when I called SAG and I did audit the company, they were, it was like such a shit show. It was mm-hmm. really not helpful. Yeah. When we call the WGA on a contract, we'll call them and be like, what is profit participation? And they'll literally, if we email yeah. them, they'll pick up the phone, somehow have our number, call us mm-hmm. and be like, let's walk through this together. That's yeah, amazing. That's Even before a contract, like they, I called them and I was like, I don't understand how I know like what my quarterly dues are. And she was like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to make separate folders on your computer. You're going to label them this way. And like, you're going to put these months in this folder. Like she thoroughly explained to me how to do it the most effective way. She spent like a full half hour explaining it to me. Yeah. And they answer the phone like right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a lot to learn from our sister unions about running a really nice, you know, tight ship as well as having a spirit of customer service and taking care of every it's member. It's hard. You guys have, I mean, we, I'm part of SAG. It's a huge union. It's very large. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be shocked at how few people though, you know, make the decisions that affects how mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of us experience our interaction with the union. So it's a very solvable problem. I don't think the size is the issue. Leadership is the issue, you know, with good You're leadership. You know, good leadership <laughs> I haven't been, a, I haven't been to one I've been a SAG member, I don't know, eight years. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to one event. Yeah. yeah. I haven't even been to the building. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's hopefully with, if we continue to do the work that we're doing, that that will change because we've been transforming things, you know, slowly but surely. And when I say we, I mean a group of very dedicated people <laughs> that are getting involved. Um, so I think there's reasons to be optimistic, but we're certainly walking into a situation where the joke is, if you want a different answer, just hang up and call and talk to somebody else. And, <laughs> you know, and, and there's all these excuses and all that, but it's so lovely to hear another union that's operating in a way that makes you guys proud to be members. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we like to do a little game at the end. Um, it's rapid fire questions. So we'll just, With um, advice, you'll just have to yes. make eye contact for who's going to answer what I'll just, we'll, we'll have Wait, it be consistent so they can know whose voice is whose. Okay. So okay. we'll have Marissa answer first okay. and then Selena. Okay. Who is your comedy hero? Reese Weatherspoon. Oh, I go right after that. <laughs> yes. Mike Myers. Mike Myers. Okay. <laughs> what would your superhero name be? Captain Fat Bottom. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Pop Cam Pussy. <laughs> Favorite Disney Channel original movie? Ooh, Luck of the Irish? Xenon. Mm-hmm. Which one? Girl of the 21st Century. 
Dream vacation destination. Um, Australia. African safari. Biggest fear. Um, wow, that's, sorry, rapid. Um, <laughs> Stumper. Biggest fear. Do you know what my biggest fear is? Your biggest yeah. fear? Uh, childbirth. Ooh. No, oh, a C-section. A C-section is my, mm. yeah. Any sort that's of surgery fair. where like guts are being taken out. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, never succeeding as an actress. Mm. Deep. Mm-hmm. Now we'll reverse <laughs> order to get crazy. Now Selena answer first, Marissa, okay. you'll be second. What is your next Halloween costume going to be? Um, I would like Marissa and I to be Xenon and Raven. I don't remember her name. And I would be Raven. Amazing. I'd like for us to be Lizzie McGuire and Miranda. You already were Lizzie McGuire. I know, but I didn't have a Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite friend's character? Uh, Chandler. Rachel. Biggest childhood celebrity crush? Mike Myers. <laughs> um, Chad Michael Murray? <laughs> Same. Which Hogwarts house are you in? Hufflepuff. Slytherin. If you could create, other than the one you're doing, any TV reboot, what would it be? It has to be TV, not movie? Yes. Okay. And then we'll do movie. TV reboot. TV reboot. Sabrina. No, they already did that. I know. It's uh, Sabrina. Uh, and I would not do it so devilly. Um, although I love it. But different. Same, but different. Hmm. A TV show, you say? TV. I don't think. Let's I think. Don't, no, because we're rebooting something. <laughs> That's a really hard one. And hard everything one. is being rebooted. Like dinosaurs. Oh, oh, good. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stevens with Ooh. current Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> that is genius. Yeah, a dark even Stevens. Really dark. Which is basically Honey Boy, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like. We yeah. would just remake Honey Boy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, okay, movie one. Because that movie one, Earth Girls are easy. I never saw that. <sighs> or Teen Witch. Ooh, yeah, Teen Witch is a good one. Never even heard of that. Casper the Friendly Ghost. Ooh, with Hilary Duff still. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yay! That's it! You're so hard to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs>